We are continuing our study in the book of Acts, and we've come to Acts chapter 19. Before we get into our text, I want to remind you of the commandment of the Lord in Exodus chapter 20, where God says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me keep my commandments. Don't have any other gods before me. Do not make for yourselves any carved images. The sin of idolatry. We find in Colossians chapter 3 where the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Such stern warnings that God gives as far as flee these things. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Shall have no other gods before me. We see in the book of Acts that there has been just a radical work of the Lord that has been taking place in Ephesus. We see that within uh, our text that the word of the Lord was, was growing and spreading and having this radical, radical impact on that land. God's word was changing people. People were hearing God's word. They were hearing the gospel and they were being saved. Radical work of the Holy Spirit in this particular area to where the church is having an impact on society. The text before us this morning comes from Acts chapter 19, beginning of verse 23. And what we will find in this, in the remainder of the chapter, is a narrative of what is taking place in this particular region at this time as a result of the church and the impact that the church is having upon society. And we will go through this and look at this and see what is taking place here. And then I want to take some time to give a pastoral charge to us as a congregation living at this particular time. And so in verse 23, it says, And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Christians that were there. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Okay, so let me just make clear what's taking place here. This is a silversmith, Demetrius, and he makes idols. That's what he does for a living. Um, it tells us that he brought no small profit 
from making these idols. This is what he does, and he makes money off of it. He makes a lot of money off of making idols for the people to worship. Okay? And so he gets together the union of silversmiths, and he gets these guys together and says, we, we are being thrashed by this man, Paul. We are being thrashed by the gospel. We make idols, and we make a lot of money from making idols, and people aren't wanting to buy idols anymore in this land. And so this is what he's saying. Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in, at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. This text here shows us the impact that the church is having. That the Holy Spirit through this man, Paul, and other Christians is having such a great impact upon the land that they're saying, not only here in Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, throughout the entire region of Asia, the people are persuaded to turn away and to not worship these gods that are made with hands. So not only is, our, is, is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. This incredible temple that is there, 127 columns, just one of the seven wonders of the world, just this incredible temple that is there. And he's saying, not, not only is this going to hurt us, but the, this is going to make it so that the great goddess Diana will be despised. Her magnificence will be destroyed as a result of the preaching of the gospel that's going forth from this man, Paul. And so now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the, the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia who were his friends sent, him, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. And some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. And so here's this taking place. There's a mob that's occurring. They're there within this gigantic theater, this outdoor incredible theater. And they're there and they are full of wrath. They go and they take two of, of Paul's travel companions, two believers. And the, 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 this, this is like a, a lynching mob that is going to do everything they can to destroy them. And Paul's there wanting to go in then the disciples are going like no 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 don't go in this is not a circumstance where you ought to go in and he still wants to go in to where those that are his friends that are city officials people that live there that are part of the government are saying like no 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 paul don't go in so now you have his companions his disciples his friends believers saying this as well as those within the city saying like don't go into that theater because these people are, will rip you apart if you do 
couple things that are noteworthy here. One is he wanted to go in. It didn't matter to him. He wanted to go in and to preach to them. But you also have the wisdom of those that are there within the church and those within the city saying, like, the bad idea, not now. Now's not the time to do it. I love his heart on that side, and I appreciate his friends going like, reckless. There's times for us as Christians where I, I, I have no problem taking chances. I have no problem going to places like South Sudan or places like China or Vietnam or Pakistan or Indonesia or Burma or areas where Christians are hated. I have no problem going into those places and preaching the gospel. And if I die in those places, I die. And I would have no regrets. But I think there's also something to, is it reckless? Is this something where there's other ways to do it, maybe at a different time? There's been times like where we've been in areas and it's just like, okay, we need to get out now. And there's both sides to it. You see it here where the Holy Spirit works upon his friends' hearts as well as those in the city saying like, not now. Not now. But there's this passion for the gospel, passion for truth, confidence in God that Paul's like, get me into that theater. I want to go. May we have both here within our church. And so... Verse 32, some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But they found out that he was a Jew. All with one voice cried out for about two hours saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Two hours. A wicked, wicked place in which there is this goddess Diana in which they believe is this goddess of fertility. And, and she is worshipped and you have these people, this mob of people. And what do they do? For two hours, nonstop, saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesians, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Um, they think that what took place was there was a meteorite that had come down and they carved it into whatever image or it looked like some kind of image. And it's there, and this is something in which they worship there as well. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And so there's a wise man that comes in and just says, 
we need to stop this mob. The Christians, they haven't robbed temples and they haven't blasphemed your goddess. They haven't done anything like that. We are going to be the ones questioned if we kill these people right now. Let them go. If these guys have a problem, let them take it to court and let's handle it in court. And so here's this huge mob that has been chanting these things for two hours that are full of wrath, that want to kill. Paul's wanting to go in. They're saying no. And now he dismisses the assembly. As we look at this text, it's a narrative that shows us what's taking place. But the thing that I want to focus on is, one, look at the effect that the church is having upon society. The church is having an effect on society. The church is in such a place that they're saying, we will not worship idols. We are not going to participate in the pagan things that take place within our society. We are going to be separate. We are going to be different. We are not going to be like this world in which we live. And it has a great impact on them financially. The word is spreading to where it's going all over Ephesus, all over Asia. The entire world is hearing the gospel. And the church is having such an effect that it is hitting the pocketbooks of the people who are living in that area. We live today, brothers and sisters, in an area in which we're told that the vast majority of our country is believers. We have churches that largely are filled on Sundays. And yet it is possible for us to be in a place like this and to not have that kind of impact. I mean, what if Christians alone would not participate in just perverse things in the movie theaters versus, well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. That mentality, it's not that bad. What if Christians would not participate in entertainment that does things that go totally against what God says in his word? What if Christians were those that would say, no, these are things that we will not participate in, we will not do because we're Christians, we're different. You may be sitting here this morning just thinking like, okay, where is he, he going to go with this? Is, is this going to go from that to a place of, of living completely like the Puritans or um, pulling away completely from the world? And I think you know that, that our desire isn't to, to become a monastery or anything like that. We are to be in this world, but we're not to be of this world. We're to become all things to all people. We might win some. But that doesn't mean that we become murderers. It doesn't mean that we become thieves. It doesn't mean that we fall into the same kind of sins as everybody else. But I think that we live in a time, brothers and sisters, in which largely across our, our country and largely within the church, the Christians are frequently indistinguishable from the unbelievers. I think that within churches today and within my life as well as many of yours, um, there's things that we don't, we, we don't remember to even blush about anymore. 
which Scripture talks about. We have forgotten how to blush. We've seen so much. We partake of so much. There's so much of the world that comes into our lives that gets jammed down our throats that we get to a place where it's not as bad to us as maybe it once was. We have become more like the world than like Christ. And and so this morning I wanted to take a look at Genesis chapter 19 in light of this. You could turn there with me, Genesis chapter 19. Because within Genesis 19, you have God's people living in a very pagan land. And that is the circumstances with Lot and his family. As I was preparing for this sermon, my mind went to this particular place because I see within Lot somebody who he gradually got to a place where he was unable to discern anymore right and wrong. And I know that that for us, our typical response is, I can't believe that he would do that. That's the way that we typically respond. Or we sit in pews like this and we're like, I hope hope that the person sitting next to me is listening to this. Or we sit there and think, oh, I wish that this other person was here to hear this because they really need it. But I pray that on this morning that we would just examine our own hearts, okay? Look at yourself, look at where you're at and see like, where am I at in all these things? Here you, here you have Lot nephew of Abraham. And God tells Abraham, if you remember in in Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Leave. Be separate. You find it in in, in 2 Corinthians where God says in chapter 6, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial and what part has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols for you are the temple of the living God and God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate be separate be different says the lord god do not touch what is unclean and i will receive you i will be a father to you and you should be my sons and the daughters says the lord almighty be separate be different and so you have abraham and he leaves and he takes his nephew he takes his wife he takes his family he goes and there comes this point where lot and abraham are 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 not together they're their budding heads. Abraham just says, you go the way that you want to go. You go to the right, I'll go to, you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. You, you go the direction that you want to go, I'll go the opposite direction. Now we see someone who, who grew up there hearing Father Abraham dwelling amongst the tents of Father Abraham. He's there, he hears the promises of God. He knows what God has said. And here's Lot, 
And when he's told this, Genesis 13.10 tells us that he lifted up his eyes and saw the plains of Jordan. Well watered everywhere, like a garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. He looks and says, like, that's the best land over there. You tell me I get to go whatever direction I want to go. I'm, I'm looking towards the plains of Jordan. I'm looking towards Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm looking that way. So this is his first mistake, right? Maybe not his first mistake. His first mistake is not just getting along well with Abraham. But when he gets a choice to go the direction he wants to go, he looks and says, what's the best for me financially? Where am I going to have the most pleasure? So he, he looks up that way. Genesis 13, 12 tells us that he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. He makes his tent and says, I'm going to take my tent and I'm going to go as far towards Sodom as I can. He probably still felt, still felt, felt pretty good about himself. We're just going to be missionaries there. We, we, we'll just be a light there in that area. We're, we're going to go and hang out amongst these people, but we're not going to get like right into it. We'll just kind of be on the fringe. Let's just, we'll set up our tent near Sodom, but not in Sodom. We're not going to go in there because that would be horrible. We, we ought not to do that. And so they would commute back and forth and do their thing because, you know, God forbid that we live in Sodom. Genesis 14, 12. Now he dwelt in Sodom. Commute was too long. Let's just live there. It's not that bad. A lot of benefits to being there, right? We can, you know, good restaurants. Lots of people. We have friends there. It's not that bad. In Genesis 19, verse 1, it tells us now that he's sitting at the gate of Sodom. He's now one of the leaders in Sodom. Within those chapters, you have him looking that way, putting his tent that way, dwelling in there, now being a leader within that place. Oh, if he had just thought of what God says in Psalm 1, where it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands on the path of sinners, nor sits in the seats of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. To be where God would have us to be. And so there within Genesis, if, chapter 19, let's, look at, let's begin looking at verse 10. Here it tells us, But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Okay, so you, if you're familiar with the passage, you know that here's Lot. He's been told by two angels that... Sodom is going to be, and Gomorrah is going to be destroyed. Um, a horrific scene takes place in which he offers up his daughters, his engaged daughters, to these, to these wicked, wicked men that are trying to, to have homosexual relations with these angels. And so there's just sin that's there. And here is Lot sinning, but the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And, and so we find here the angels now, as Lot's outside, they literally have to grab him and pull Lot inside. Get inside now. He's out there saying, friends, 
to these wicked, wicked people. Friends, don't do this. He's in the midst of it all. And so the angels, they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Don't mess with angels. They're blind. These guys are now blind. They can't even find the door. The men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city. Take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. We are going to destroy this place. What is this place? This place is similar to what we find there where the paganism is so great that the cries that are going out are just worshiping of the goddess Diana that we see. It's just a pagan, pagan place. And so they're saying, we are going to destroy this place. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law. These are the ones that are engaged with his daughters, who had married his daughters, and said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Okay, so we're going to look at multiple different people in our text here. The first is these guys that are sons-in-laws. When he goes to them and says, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Their response is, He's joking. This is not real. God's not going to destroy Sodom, Gomorrah. He's he's not going to do this. There are people who maybe are sitting in this congregation right now, and this is you. When you hear the warning that goes out as far as that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, you hear that and think, I'm not going to perish. God's not going to send someone like me to hell. It's not going to happen. When, when you hear sermons in which it's the, the text is something like the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God or warnings that go out as far as the condemnation that will come, what hell is like, blackest darkness, Weeping, gnashing of teeth, the place where the fires are quenched, where the worm cannot die, this place of everlasting torment, separate from the glory of God, and just horror for all eternity. You sit there and think, well, that's a hellfire and brimstone sermon. I can't believe people even do that anymore. I don't even believe in hell. I heard one Christian pastor say there's no such thing as hell. And so you go after those kind of people. You think about those kind of things. When you hear warnings that go out, you just laugh. No, it's just joking. This can't be real. Those guys did not find it to be a joke moments later when we see God's wrath come upon that particular city. Nor will you. Nor will you. The warning that goes forth from Scripture comes from the very mouth of Almighty God And you go through scripture and you see what God said would take place. Everything, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that God said would take place did take place. All of them took place. And there's some things that are yet to come. And one is eternal damnation for those who are unbelievers. And eternal life to those who believe. 
If every one of those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things came about just as God said, so will those two things. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Now notice what's taking place. They're saying, hurry. And what is he doing? He's lingering. He's lingering. He's not in a place of, I better go now. God gave me this warning. God sent these angels. These angels just made these guys all blind outside. This is something that's serious. God said we need to go now. Let's go now. Now. Let's go now. He's not at that place. He's come to a place where he is living in the midst of this dump. He's living in the midst of this city. He's having no impact on the idolatry that's taking place. No silversmiths are there going like, man, he's really thrashing our business here in Sodom. He's just living amongst them. He's participating in what they are doing. He's not being light. He's not being salt. Even his sons-in-laws just laugh at him when he warns them. He's living in there. And when it's time to go, let's go now. Let's go now. Get out of this. Get out of this pit that you're in. This this place is wicked. God is going to judge this place. Get out now. He lingers. So much so that the angels have to grab them by the hand and drag them out. Picture this. Lot, Lot's wife, his daughters being grabbed, pulled. Get out now. That's what's taking place within Lot's heart. And so they brought him out of the city. And so it came to pass when they had escaped from So when it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Don't look behind you. Escape to the mountains. Go to the mountains. Run for your lives. This is the time you need to get out of here now. We brought you out of the city gates. We brought you out of here now. Go, get out of here, go. And so this is what these angels have said. And then Lot says to them, please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy, which you've shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. You guys brought me out. You're telling me to flee to the mountains. But I, I don't want to do what you tell me to do. There's this little city. It's just a little one, right? Can I stay there? Do you see what's taking place here? It's just, hear God saying, get out, go to the mountains. I mean, if God's saying, here's angels, they're going to grab you by the hand, they're going to pull you out, get to the mountains. Do you think that Lot should have been like, well, if he could get me out there, he could make me run up the mountain. 
He said, I can't, I can't get at that mountain. I can't do it. I'll die. Can I just stay in this little city? It's just a little one. It's a compromise. How many of us think, like, it's just a little sin? It's not like a big one. It's just a little one. Can I just, can I just do that? I mean, it's, just, it's, it's okay, right? It's just, a, it's just a little one. The youth here. It's just a little sin, right? I mean, I, he, he's not a believer, but he's like Catholic. Like, he went to church. His grandma's Baptist. Like, you know, like, it's, he's close, you know. It's just a little one. I mean, we're not going that far. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's, it's not that bad, right? That this is okay, right? We could just do a little bit. This, this, this movie, is, it's not that bad. It's just, it's, a, it's, it's not that, it's just a little sin, right? It's okay. We, we, we can sin in this way with the funds that God's entrusted with us. It's just not that bad. It's just a little one. We could do this or we could do that. It's just, it's a little sin. It's just a little one. That's where he's at. It's just, it's little, right? It's just a little one. And so he says to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. We'll let you go there. Is this God's best for him? No. He permits him to go. There's times where God allows you to sin, doesn't he? times in which you want that little one. I just want to do a little one. It's just a little thing. It's not that big, right? It's a little one, right? And God says, go ahead, and you can do that. And we go. We carry about. We are just like the world. We maybe aren't as bad as the world, but it's a little one. We're okay with it. We still feel good about it. And that's what's taking place. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zar. And then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Everything. He destroyed everything. Fire, brimstone, coming down, destroys everything. But look what it says here. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Think of Lot's wife. Remember scripture tells us that. Remember Lot's wife. Why? Because here she is, she looks back. She's running. Lot's running. The daughters are running. They're told, don't look back. And faith Run to where we're telling you to run. Don't look back. And what does she do? In the midst of running, she turns back. She loved the city. She loved the sin. She loved the junk. She had been living in Abraham's tent. But this just reflects her total, complete lack of faith and unbelief. She turns back. She goes back that way. She turns and she looks and immediately is destroyed, turns into a pillar of salt. I mean, you can just picture her neck just, boom, done, gone. That's the second person I want to think about this, this morning. Here you have 
this woman, Lot's wife. She was running. She didn't laugh. She didn't think he was joking. She was running. She's running next to her believing husband. She's participated in much of what he's participated. She's listened to much of what he has listened to and what he said. But her affections are totally for the things of this world. She doesn't have a heart for God. She may have been the one that's, let's just go to Sodom, let's move in. Maybe she was the one that did that. But at this particular time, her unbelief is revealed to where, with a longing look, she looks back because she just wants that stuff of the world. And so she does. And she becomes a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. I don't know that Abraham even knew this was going to take place, right? Are there 10 righteous? If there's 10 righteous, would you spare that city? Well, guess what? Morning came, there weren't 10 righteous. He looks, the whole city's destroyed, all of it. He doesn't even know who got out. He sees total, complete destruction. And then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and saw, and behold, the smoke of the land that went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the, over, of the overthrow and when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Um, and then Lot went up to Zorah and, and dwelt in, in the mountains and his two daughters were with him for he was afraid to dwell in Zorah. Um, and he went, he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. You have the two daughters that leave as well. They run, they don't look back. But there's so much sin within them as well. The next section of Scripture goes through and talks about them getting their father drunk and incest taking place between them and their dad. Horrific set of Scriptures when you look at sin that's taking place. Having relations with their dad. They left with dad. But there's just gross sin that's there within them. Don't think that your sin does not impact other people as well. You may think it's just a little one. It will affect your spouse. It will affect your kids. It will affect your parents. It will affect those that are around you. It will affect them. And God hates it. We ought not to be like this world. Here you have in the book of Acts these people who... Their faith in Christ, their change that has taken place, all of it that has occurred makes it so that there's idol makers that are going out of business because of the incredible work that's taken place as the word of God is going forth mightily in that area. The church is having an impact. The other side of it is Lot and his family living in a pagan area in which you just see total failure. Hesitant to run out, being dragged out as he goes. His wife turns into a pillar of salt. His girls come to a place of just horrific sin. His sons-in-laws think he's joking, can't even take him seriously. And it started with him looking towards the plains of Jordan, right? Setting up his tent near Jordan, living in Jordan, participating in their things and making it so there was a slippery slope to where sin didn't matter anymore. Just a little one, just a little one. Even in the midst of being rescued, can I just, it's just a little city, right? It's just a little city. Can I just stay there instead? Do I have to do exactly what you say? Can I just stay there? 
wife. I'm just going to look back for a second. Just for a second, I want to look back. Destroyed. The pastoral charge I have for you this morning is this, is hate sin, run from sin. Don't look at it as just a little one. It's just a drink. It's just, it's just a little bit of drugs. You hear within the church today, is it okay now to, to smoke pot because it's legal now? Can we do that now? Is it, it's legal, right? I mean, it should be okay. It doesn't matter that it's been illegal and thought of as something horrible for as long as any one of us have been alive here, depending on at least as a society for the most part. It affects the way you think. It affects your actions. It affects your discernment. It puts your guard down. But we have people that are like, is that okay? Because now, I mean, I mean, maybe we could do that. Maybe I can find pleasure in that rather than in God. Is it okay if I do that? If I can find a little bit more pleasure in pot than in God, can I do that? Is this okay? Can I do a little bit? Can I do a little bit? And you look at it, and when you start thinking that way, and it may not be that. It may be other areas of your life. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And you're going to find a snowball of sin to where you're a guy like Lot and you're just like, okay, I know this place is going to be destroyed, but I don't want to leave yet. Let's linger. Stay here. Let's be in the midst of this. Not knowing like your wife in moments is going to be destroyed. Your son-in-laws will be destroyed. All that you know within this community will be destroyed. There was no idol factories going out of business. You were just like them. You were not being a light in that area. You were very comfortable in the midst of sin. And my exhortation to you is, may we be godly in an ungodly world. May we be godly. May we be different. May we not be like Lot to where it's just like a slippery slope and we just keep going further and further to where you look at what Lot has done and you think, how did he get there? The same way that we get there fixing our eyes on the stuff of this world, desiring the things of this world, thinking little sins are okay. God, help us to run from those things. I'm going to close with this. Jonathan Edwards wrote this in relation to where we live today, but hundreds of years ago. The destruction of which you are in danger is infinitely more dreadful than the destruction of the literal Sodom from which Lot fled. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in a storm of fire and brimstone was but a shadow of the destruction of ungodly men in hell. It is not more to it than a shadow or picture to a reality. Painted fire is to a real fire. The misery of hell is set forth by various shadows and images in Scripture. It's blackest darkness, Never dying worm, a furnace of fire, a lake of fire and brimstone, the torments of the valley of the sons of Hinnom, the storm of fire and brimstone. The reason why so many similitudes are used is because none of them is sufficient. Any one does but partly or very imperfectly represent the truth, and therefore God makes use of many. So many ways to describe hell. You are therefore much more in need to make haste in your escape and not to look behind you than Lot and his wife had when they fled out of Sodom. For, you're, for you are every day and every moment in danger of a thousand times more dreadful storm coming on your heads than that which came on Sodom when the Lord rained brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven upon them. It will be vastly more 
sodish in, in you to look back than it was for Lot's wife. The destruction of which you are in danger is not only greater than the temporal destruction of Sodom, but greater than the eternal destruction of the inhabitants of Sodom. For however well you may think you have behaved yourselves, you may, you who have continued impenitent under the glorious gospel, have sinned more and provoked God far more and have greater guilt upon you than the inhabitants of Sodom, although you may seem to yourselves and perhaps to others to be very harmless creatures. Matthew ten fifteen. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable in Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. If now, after all, you should look back when God has been so merciful to you, you shall have reason to fear that God will suddenly destroy you. Multitudes, when they have been looking back and putting off to another time, have never had another opportunity. They have been suddenly destroyed at that warning without warning. Point being is this. Um, this is an exhortation to the church. Flee sin. But it's an exhortation to an unbeliever who's here this morning. Maybe you've been in the church for a long time. Maybe you know a whole lot. But the fact of the matter is, if you were to run today, you'd look back. You'd look back. You love the stuff of this world. And you'd look back upon the stuff of this world. You long for the stuff of the world more than you long and treasure Christ. May this be a great warning to you because she, she looked back, done at that moment. How many people have looked back and sudden destruction took place for the last couple hundred years since this has been written? They looked back. They didn't look to Christ. They didn't trust in Christ. They were in love with the stuff of this world just like Lot's wife was in love with the stuff of this world. May we turn to Christ on this morning um, and flee from the wrath that is to come. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the text before us. We thank you for the, what took place in the church in Ephesus. And we also thank you for the stern warning that comes from Genesis 19 when we see sin and, and those dabbling with sin and immersed in sin and living in sin and okay with sin. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of the congregation here this morning and in my heart as well. Give us a holy hatred for sin. Make it so that, that our hearts are not just factories for idols. Make it so that we don't want to have anything to do with those kind of things, but we want to pursue Christ and your excellencies and to be a light here on this earth and point people towards Christ and be salt here in, in which people are being changed radically, not by us, but by power of the gospel and the purity of your word. I pray that if there's anybody here that's going in a direction of eternity apart from Christ, may today be the day that they look towards you, trusting in you completely for salvation. We look upon the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah and see the entire place burned, destroyed, knowing that you tell us that is more tolerable for them than for those who reject you in the future. God, I, I pray that we would just flee towards you, every person in this sanctuary, everyone who hears this sermon, flee from the wrath to come and spend eternity with our Savior who died for us, took our sins upon himself, and gave us every bit of his righteousness. If there's believers who are here that are just dabbling with sin, it's not that bad, it's just a little one, 
May we hate that and run from it with all that we got, knowing that your ways are perfect and your warnings are sure and right and good for us. Now be pleased through the praises of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.